successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show and online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. If you're listening on the radio via 980 AM. You're joining us via podcast, via iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you listen to via podcast. We greatly appreciate that as well. Or if you're joining us on the website, grillnationshow.com, thank you very much. Uh, we've had a great, great uh, summer so far with shows, and today will be no different. We, uh, we're really excited about today's show because I think uh, it'll, it'll appeal to a lot of our different listeners, no matter what age, background. Uh, what you do for a living, I think there'll be a piece of the show that will connect with you uh, as far as uh, what we're going to talk about today. So stay tuned for that here in just what one second. Again, you connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. Also available on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Just search for my name, Jason Grill. I love connecting to you guys via social media uh, and whatnot. And I hope you're having a great week so far. Uh, today's show is going to be interesting. We are going to talk to someone who's been in the um, the entrepreneurial, uh, economic growth, startup uh, world for a long, long time. He has a really unique background and uh, very excited to have him on the show. Victor Wang is joining us. He is the founder and CEO of Right to Start. The website is righttostart.org. He also is the uh, former uh, vice president of entrepreneurship at the Kauffman Foundation. You might have heard of them. Uh, and also uh, has a very long history of entrepreneurial startup success, working with companies both uh, in the, the region and also in Silicon Valley. Victor is on Twitter at Rainforest Book. Victor, welcome to the show. We are taping today via Zoom still. So if we have any technical issues, we apologize. But so far, so good. How are you today? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Jason. So it's great, great to have you. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. I know that you, uh, you know, I don't want to brag too much on you, but I know that you uh, went to Harvard for undergrad and uh, uh, University of Chicago for law school. Sometimes I forget that you uh, practiced law at the beginning of your career, but take us through your background and uh, kind of where you grew up at. Well, I'm uh, I'm a, a, a child of the middle of the country. I was actually uh, born in Louisiana in 1971 which is not people's first guess, uh, and then lived in Iowa and in Indiana uh, and then Austin, Texas, uh, before going to college at Harvard. And uh, probably, the, in- probably the, the theme, um, the interesting aspect is my parents were educators. They were educators, you know, at all, at many, many levels of education, you know, K through 12 and higher ed. And, um, and so they always emphasized the importance of it. So when I got into Harvard, you know, it wasn't really that much of a question on whether I should go or not, but my parents were not rich. And so uh, we, I went anyways, but what I didn't realize until later is they, they actually had to take a second mortgage on their house to put me through. 
And uh, what I also what I did know is that they actually started a business to actually raise enough money to uh, put me through college as well. And so I got exposure to entrepreneurship at, and the power of entrepreneurship then, which was that people's ability to adapt and find new sources of income and build enterprises uh, actually was empowering. It was a way to uh, to give them strength and control over the future of their lives. Um, but the, the irony of it all is when I actually got to Harvard during the first week of classes, you know, I'd always been interested in, you know, where does wealth and prosperity come from? And I actually sat in the first day of economics class. This is intro economics at Harvard. And during that class, I just thought, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And after the first day of intro economics at Harvard, I left and I never went back to that class. The first class, after the first class, you never went back, huh? Yeah, because I felt like uh, there was a problem in the way economists thought of economics, which was it didn't take into account the little people, the ordinary people like my parents, like my grandfather, who also was an entrepreneur. And it didn't take into account their lives and the impact they had on everything else. Like, you know, economics basically says everyone's kind of a cog and a fungible commodity. They can replace you with someone else. And I realized that just wasn't the way it worked. And so my whole life has been you know, search for, you know, how do you create, how do you think about the world in a way that actually empowers ordinary people? And, uh, and that, so that's, that's really been a, the seed for a lot of the work I've done in my life. That's awesome. Um, you went to law school, you, you're like me, you, uh, I think you practiced law for a little bit and then you kind of decided, you know, I'm too entrepreneurial for this, <laughs> but it helped you. It helped you probably in everything you've done in life. It does. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I practiced for just a few years. Uh, I was with a couple of big law firms in Los Angeles doing everything from little angel deals to multi-billion dollar public offerings and, and everything in between. And, uh, but it, what it does is it teaches you how, how the machine works. You know, you, you, you actually get to be, you know, see, see how the money flows, how the deals are structured. But for me, I, I just, I, I always wanted, I always thought my clients were having more fun than me. And they were the ones uh, putting the deals together and creating, creating the the economic value. And so I, I thought that would be really fun to do. So uh, I really uh, I'd only practiced a few years. And I honestly, honestly, to be fair, a really good lawyer requires someone. Uh, there's a particular um, fine tuning of focus and you know thinking that great lawyers have. And I, I get I get a bit distracted sometimes. So I'm, I, I don't think I was the best lawyer. So what so what'd you do from there, Victor? I know you worked in. Uh you know, various startups and, and uh, out, out West. Tell us about just kind of just in a nutshell, tell us about your time in, on the West Coast. And then we'll we'll talk about what you're doing now in Kansas City. Hmm. Well, uh, in 2000, so I, I'd still at the beginning of 2000, I was still practicing law. And I, there was an opportunity that opened up where I had a chance to run um, a nonprofit organization that the state of California had set up to work with um, innovative startup companies, particularly those with uh, great technologies and science and innovation that was coming out of federally funded research programs. So basically government-based R&D. And, um, and uh, that was called the Larta Institute. And uh, I went over there and uh, we basically built some of the, very, the nation's very first um, mentoring programs for of uh, federally funded um, startup companies. Uh, and we started doing them across the country and ended up mentoring hundreds of companies um, the, and really got to, and I think that exposed me to the idea that uh, there were there was actually a need to, uh, for this interface between public and private, that you could actually design better solutions to help grow entrepreneurs. And that in turn would have ripple effects throughout all of society. And so after I did that nonprofit, I, uh, 
I did that for uh, about five years, and then I left that to – I realized that there was an opportunity to actually build something around capital access uh, to look for really interesting companies coming out of that uh, government R&D pipeline and to, to pick and choose some amazing companies to take over the you – know, to, to grow. And so I, I, we launched what people now would call a venture studio, but at the time there was no name for it. It was essentially like a boutique venture firm where – it was a cross between an investment firm and a hands-on accelerator and your own little startup all at the same time. Uh, and, uh, and we built that. That was called T2 and uh, built that and, and ran that for uh, over a decade. Um, wow. Yeah. You do a lot of great things. And if you, if you want to connect with Victor, his uh, Twitter handle is at Rainforest Book. But more importantly, uh, we're going to get into after the break is kind of what Victor has done locally here and then what we're trying to what he's trying to grow nationally with right to start.org. Um, we're gonna have a great conversation today. This is just a little bit of a taste of what uh, we're doing here. I, I wanted to make sure people started to kind of understand Victor has been around this world for, for quite a long time on a national level. Um, so it'll kind of uh, paint the picture a little bit before we start talking about his current endeavor uh, and what he's done over the last few years. You're listening to the Grill Nation show here on 980 AM and on iTunes via podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show here on 980 AM, or if you're listening on podcast via iTunes, we greatly appreciate it. I am your host, Jason Grill, joined today by Victor Wang. He's an economic growth expert. His ideas have changed and shaped the economic lives of millions of people worldwide. He has worked and helped over 300 communities, cities, states, companies, and entire countries create greater prosperity. Victor is online at righttostart.org. He's also, uh, his personal website is victorh.co. A lot of great information, Victor. You have an amazing background, which we just talked about. Briefly, just for our listeners, we, we talked a little bit about your experience and work on the West Coast and Silicon Valley. You, uh, you came to Kansas City uh, with an opportunity at the Coffin Foundation. Give us a little bit of 30, to, 30 seconds to a minute, a blurb about your time there and that's what brought you right, I assume, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the Coffin Foundation, for those of for those people that might not be familiar with the role of the foundation in entrepreneurship, it really has been um, uh, the, the preeminent foundation in entrepreneurship for decades in the country, if not the world. And uh, and so people throughout the whole sector have looked up to the foundation for for leadership uh, and inspiration uh, in in the highest ways and and the best ways possible. And so when I had a chance to, uh, to, to take over the leadership of that and, and, you know, guide it for, um, uh, for the time I was there, it was just, it was just the honor of a lifetime. And, uh, so I'm glad I got to do it. I did it for about four years and, uh, and yeah, it was the, the greatest experience. That's awesome. Uh, highly recommend checking out what they're doing as well. And we'll say this, Victor and his background, uh, before we get to the latest endeavor, you know, we're not just talking about uh, somebody who started a company on Silicon Valley. I mean, I'm looking through this, Victor. You, um, you're, one of your companies won the Tech TechCrunch Disrupt startup competition that you worked with. Uh, you know, which is pretty cool, which I think a lot of mainstream maybe people have heard of, and just so much other stuff, uh, which is just a testament. You've written a book, 
which obviously uh, was successful. Just done a lot of different things. And so as an entrepreneur does, you uh, have, have now pivoted to uh, not only doing economic growth consulting, but also um, leading a, a new group called Right to Start. The website is righttostart.org. I know it just launched, so just kind of tell us a little bit about kind of your transition from Kaufman to doing this and, and why you did it and, and what it is. Well, one of the things that had really become clear uh, at my time at, at Kaufman and even before then uh, was that there was this missing hole in our economy where hope should be. Uh, that is, uh, entrepreneurship uh, is actually key to so many things that are good in life. We know that new businesses created by entrepreneurs are the source of almost all job growth, productivity, uh, economic dynamism, and mobility. Yet, it's it's really nowhere on the public agenda in this country. So if you think about the big issues in American life, uh, you know, there's always some kind of advocacy infrastructure in place. There's like a network or an organization or some effort to drive those issues forward, whether it's, you know, the NRA for guns rights or the ACLU for civil liberties. There's some kind of infrastructure that advances these issues. But if you believe in entrepreneurial opportunity as something fundamental to our economy and also fundamental to, you know, being a person, there's actually not a really easy way to get engaged. Like for ordinary people, there's no natural organization to join. There's no natural movement to be part of. There's no uh, state chapter. There's no local network. There's no national agenda. Uh, and there's no shaping the policies and the programs that actually uh, make these issues possible. So Right to Start is really looking at building that kind of advocacy movement uh, around entrepreneurial opportunity. And we call it the Right to Start because we view it's not just entrepreneurship as an issue. Often entrepreneurship is viewed as like a sub-issue of small business or economic development or it's like something, you ha it's kind of like a, a feature of education curricula sometimes. We really think of entrepreneurial opportunity as a fundamental right. It's just like the right to speech or worship or assembly. Uh, when this country was founded, uh, the idea that entrepreneurial opportunity for everyone was just assumed. I mean, unless Unfortunately, unless you were a slave or a Native American, everybody else um, basically was an entrepreneur. Uh, the founders of this country were largely entrepreneurs, either running their own business of some kind or some kind of small operation. And so I think what happened in this country was it's a startup nation. It's always been a startup nation. But we've, we've taken what made us great in many ways, which was which is our entrepreneurial energy, and we've just taken it for granted. And when you take things for granted, it starts to wither. Uh, and entrepreneurs themselves are so busy, you know, they're either cash strapped or too busy hustling to actually have a voice for themselves. So right to start is a voice for the voiceless. It's a way to actually get these issues out front and to fight for them. So entrepreneurial opportunity becomes available to everybody, regardless of uh, their place, their race, their gender, their background, their heredity or their circumstance. Uh, entrepreneurial opportunity is something that should be available for every human being because it's key to the economy. But more importantly, it's key to to being a, you know, the fullest human being you can possibly be. Victor Wang is with us. There, on the website, ranktostar.org, you, you list kind of the three areas that are kind of key to this movement that you're starting. Changing minds, changing policies, and changing communities. Let's start with changing minds. You want to shift the nation's conversation so the right to start becomes recognized as a critical to American renewal. You know, I always thought that during a down economy that there were, there were way more startups and, and more people starting their own companies. But over the last, you know, 
certain amount of years, it's actually down, right? I mean, you know, that's something that I had to change my mind about. That I, I, you know, when you're involved in this world, you think there's so many new companies. You see all these startups that fail and succeed, and all these tech companies now that are the rage. And you know, actually, it's actually down entrepreneurial startup growth. Correct. If you look over the last four decades, the rate of entrepreneurial activity in the country of people starting new businesses is actually about half what it was about four decades ago. It's a huge fall, and and the dynamism is down too in terms of new business creation relative to businesses closing. We're basically starting new businesses, barely keeping up with the businesses that are closing. It used to be there was a net growth in businesses in the country. People were as the population grew, people were creating more businesses. Uh, we're barely keeping up today. So, and that all correlates with a whole bunch of other things. We see wages stagnant. We see the odds of you living the American dream have fallen. The odds of someone being able to rise from the bottom to the top mobility, uh, as the economists say, has fallen. Uh, so it's just a lot of things. We think, we think this is a great entrepreneurial nation, but when you don't pay attention to these things, it starts to fall away. And that's basically what's been happening for four decades. And those are ordinary, everyday entrepreneurs. Not, it's not just the famous tech entrepreneurs, which, have gotten a lot of attention. It's the it's the everyday people, like like my parents or my grandfather would have been. They 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 are the ones that are actually struggling harder, and that matters because that's people finding new opportunity. It's finding new incomes during a pandemic. It's finding, it's innovating. It's finding new ways to adapt and adjust. And we've just made it harder for them to do so. So you're going to focus on changing minds. Um, Another thing, part of that was the changing policies, and we're going to get into this way more in the next um, the next segment. But you're advocating for policies to enshrine the right to start at all levels of our system. So you're actually going to look at local, state, and federal um, policy change, correct? That's right. Yeah, our plan is to to really work with policymakers. You know, whether they're mayors or city council people or state reps or even governors or congress people or even uh, the, ex- the the federal executive branch uh, to help help put in policies that actually advance entrepreneurial opportunity for everybody. And finally, changing communities, engage ordinary Americans in lifting their communities through simple actions that strengthen the right to start. Tell us about that endeavor because everyone kind of understands policy change. Everyone understands kind of messaging and changing minds and through data and all the different parts of it. The communities part is very, very big undertaking for Right to Start because you're trying to organize people on the ground, grassroots, kind of grassroots level to, um, to start these, these types of communities and, and grow them and, and, and get the word out. Tell us about your endeavors with that. The key to this is um, most people think entrepreneurship is something that doesn't matter to them. It's something for other people to do. And and the number is going to bear this out. Every month out of a thousand people, only three actually start a new business. Three out of a thousand. Three out of a thousand a month start a new business. And that means 997 people don't. And largely those 997 people have sat on the sidelines just saying, well, that's something for the three people to deal with on their own. But what we are pretty clear about from the research and uh, what people who work with businesses will tell you is what the 997 people do is critical to entrepreneurial success. Uh, in fact, my years in Silicon Valley, uh, I learned this as well. It's not the three uh, alone. It's the three plus the 997 that actually drive the equation for everybody. And and so what we want to do with the right to start is to, to really show people and explain to people you know, it's not just what the entrepreneurs do. It's what you do uh, because you want entrepreneurial opportunity and you want to help the success of these people. 
your it's your friends, your neighbors, your family members, your your community members. It's the it's the restaurant on the corner that closed down during the pandemic that needs to reopen again. You know, when things start to come back, it's the person finding a new business online, working from their home, trying to sell new products and services. It's the person uh, trying to invent some new gadget in their basement uh, that they want to sell on Kickstarter or Etsy. Like that is, those are people reinventing things. They're trying to find better solutions in a hard situation and we should be encouraging of them. So uh, we're trying to build a, a grassroots army of a hundred thousand people that are entrepreneurial supporters. And these are people that are willing to, to talk to their mayors or their city council people or, or, um, or their friends or their neighbors even just to be able to advance these issues. And so th that's really the vision. And so as part of that, we're putting together a, a national network of grassroots ambassadors. These are people on the ground in communities across the country uh, helping, um, helping fight for these issues. Uh, and we're generating awareness by creating a video series. So we've launched this new video series called The Start Show, uh, which is kind of like a, it's like a combination of a TV talk show, variety show with some serious discussion about how you actually help your communities. And it's fun and we've got music and coffee and it's like a virtual road trip across the country. That, uh, that'll so, be good. Let's, let's start with that on our next segment. Victor Wang is with us, righttostart.org. You're listening to The Grill Nation Show here at 980 AM and on iTunes via podcast. Thanks for joining us today, and we will be right back with more. I've been roaming around, always looking down at all I see. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show here on 980 AM and on iTunes via podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts and at grillnationshow.com. I'm your host, Jason Grill. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill. Today we are joined by Victor Wang, who is the CEO and founder of Right to Start, a great new endeavor. Uh, their website is righttostart.org. I've uh, actually had the pleasure of uh, being a contributor to the uh, Right to Start movement as it's just launched. Um, I hope to get even more involved as they uh, continue to grow as a, a policy and uh, strategy contributor, I guess you would say, on uh, public policy and public affairs issues. Victor is a, a great guy and is doing a lot of great work here in the entrepreneurial space here, both locally and on a national level. We we're talking about, Victor, your... Um, communities uh you were mentioning the show uh you're going to be doing startup shows in a lot of different cities throughout the country correct that's the the plan uh we'd like to be able to highlight all 50 states and talk about what's happening and th this is the thing it's like there are so many uh people on the ground in policy policymakers, entrepreneurs people who support entrepreneurs working to advance this issue of how do you help entrepreneurs but their stories never get told. It's pretty heroic work. I think I think of entrepreneurship as hero, heroic work. And then the people that support entrepreneurs get no credit for it either. And that's really heroic work. Uh, but there's no reason it needs to be that way. We can elevate the stories of these heroes. And, and actually, by doing so, I think we'll uh, shine a new light on a new way to help the country that doesn't get uh, doesn't get a lot of publicity. Victor, when you were writing your manifesto, which you can read on righttostart.org, uh, you know, it's very well done, and I'm sure that it was uh, pre-COVID that you started doing this. I know it was, actually. Um, since that has happened, you know, the world has changed. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at some of the statistics. 22% of all businesses, at least 3.3 million, have been shut down 
from the pandemic. You know, the vulnerable communities have been hit the hardest. 32% of Hispanic owned and 41% of black owned businesses have shut down. Over 16 million unemployed. Inequality is increasing. Wages have been stagnant for decades. You know, we talked about new business creation is creating the most net new jobs. You know, how did you pivot? I mean, I, I can't think of a better time to uh, have the civic infrastructure built than now. But I mean, how did this all change because of COVID? I mean, or did it change? Uh, it, it did change. I mean, it has to change. I think uh, in some way. So I I'd originally thought this was going to be, you know, a 10 to 20 year journey. But I think with the pandemic has accelerated everything. I think the urgency for this stuff is now. And we've got to get to work because people uh, need to adjust and they need to adapt to this new reality. And it's going to, this reality is going to be with us for, for quite some time. Uh, and the ripple effects of this pandemic will last for a while. And so, and I've had this question from folks, people have said, you know, well, you know, wh why now talk about entrepreneurship? And I found that really interesting because they think entrepreneurship is about like uh, privileged tech people. And th that's not it at all. I think that's been part of the problem is the, the term entrepreneurship has been hijacked. And so we actually use the, the word starter instead. A starter is someone that starts something. And it doesn't have to be a tech startup. It could be, you know, a bakery, a restaurant, selling something online. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it now than anyone could possibly have imagined years ago. Uh, and so uh, we had to change to really um, uh, increase the urgency of the work, make it more expansive. Um, and, uh, and, and I guess one feature of it is I'm not on the road. I was actually planning on spending a large chunk of 2020 driving around the country, visiting communities, visiting with entrepreneurs and policymakers and trying to uh, basically rally the country during an election season. Uh, but everything has shifted online now. And so we're basically doing this as virtual road trips and virtual activities. Um, and in some ways, it's it's less fun because you're not out there in the in the country driving around. But in other ways, it's even more fascinating because we get to talk to almost anyone anywhere. I mean, the people I've gotten to spend time with on, uh, uh, you know, on on calls in the last few months have just been extraordinary and uh, exciting. And I've learned so much and I learn so much every day from just the people I get to interact with. Um, and it just shows that you can actually take a lot of the energy that you would have in person and maybe not 100%, but in a different way, you can engage with so many different people in so many interesting ways uh, online. You know, the barriers to getting to the right people, you know, fast is, have, have fallen way down. So mm -hmm. instead of uh, being on the road, I'm, I'm talking uh, in Zoom calls and phone calls and, uh, and you're very, uh, activating you're very people engaged. And you're also writing, um, you recently wrote a uh, op-ed in the, the Hill the, to the headline is starting businesses should be a community of priority amid COVID-19. We might have already talked about this a little bit, but just just again, what does that mean to you? Well, I think entrepreneurship has has had a tr has had trouble as an issue in many levels. On the federal level, we've had some people start to talk about it, but at the local level, it's it's kind of dismissed. It's kind of like you know, it, it's it's sort of the um, yeah, it's sort of viewed as like a, a secondary or even tertiary issue uh, at the local level. And and again, you know, entrepreneurship, This the research proves this. Almost all job growth comes from new businesses. Productivity comes from new businesses. Innovation comes from new businesses. Uh, we're not just, these aren't just slogans. This is actual scientifically proven yeah, stuff. I think, that's, I think that's the important part to point out is that because of your, your research and your background uh, and the work that you've done, you know, you have the... the 
the graphs and the numbers and the data to show that, you know, which is important when you're talking about policy to show to people, which I think is extremely helpful. Well, there's a lot of skeptics out there. When you tell people, hey, you know, the entrepreneurship has declined by half in this country over the last four decades. The first response for people who haven't heard it is shock. And, and then it's disbelief. Like, no way that's true. And these, and it I've talked to all the headlines, right, about new companies and technologies. And it, 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 I get why people would think that. I mean, I was one of yeah. the people that thought that. And then I read the data and I read what I read. I read some of the statistics and I, I you know, I actually talked to people with knowledge like you. And it, it, it's the opposite. It is the opposite. And I, I talked to a lot of, you know, famous thinkers and journalists, our, lead, our nation's leading public intellectuals ha haven't known this thing until you, you bring it to their attention. But then you think about it and beyond the data, you start to think about like your friends and you think about the people you know and you think who actually has the guts to do it? And, you know, how, and then if you actually do it, you think, well, that was so much harder than it needed to be. Um, and you realize uh, it, it is hard. And um, and it, it, you know, a hundred years ago, it was a very natural thing. Most people weren't employed in large organizations. Most people were working in small little shops and doing their own thing, uh, or at least knew that that was a viable alternative. Uh, and I'm not painting a rosy picture. I mean, it is tough to, to start your own business and grow it. And, and, um, and that's one of the reasons why you're launched, uh, right to start. And, and one of the other reasons why is besides growing this and, and, and getting people to, to understand the data and change minds and grow from a grassroots level through communities is, again, that policy uh, part of it, which is local, state, and federal. Um, let's talk about some of the things that, that people can do or, you know, talk to their elected officials about. You know, really, it comes down to making opportunities easier, uh, equitable, equitable opportunity and economic uh, and entrepreneurial opportunity easier and clearing some of the paths. And some of the paths that you talk about on righttostart.org are, you know, level the playing field, uh, you know, less red tape, eliminating startup costs, cutting tax ha hassles and dedicating government contracts to young businesses, all things that make perfect sense. But at the same time, you know, the big companies that are moving from state to state are, are the ones that are are getting all of these things, yet they're not creating the most jobs, <laughs> which makes zero sense. It does. And, and here's the thing, too, is, you know, in a lot of towns across America, you know, if a kid wants to sell lemonade on their street corner, they have to get a permit to do it. If they want to make bread uh, and sell it to their neighbor, they are breaking the law. And even if it's just doing selling 20 bucks worth of stuff. And and so a lot of the and, and you know, people will sometimes say, well, you know, what's a $20 fee or what's a $50 fee? Well, to someone that's trying to make ends meet, it's a lot and it adds up and it becomes another barrier. More importantly, it becomes a psychological barrier where you just you just throw your hands up and say, well, forget it. I'm not going to do it. And if you think about that, you know, it, it sort of raises the question of why do we put up these these obstacles for what should be such a fundamentally natural human thing to do? Um and regulatory barriers, you know, there's if you look at like licenses, something like I think it's a third of all jobs have a license required to practice them right now. Twenty percent of workers now have some kind of non-compete agreement with their employer that prevents them from starting a business to compete in the same sector they're in, uh, which is essentially what they're experts at. So we've actually cut away large parts of the population from being active in actually starting their own thing. And uh, and that's lost opportunity. That's lost products and services. That's lost wealth. That's lost um, you know value to our society. 
Uh, and we just have to recognize that. You know, you guys have done a great job with kind of pointing all of these policy points out. And I'm sure you'll continue to hone in on what different things people can actually do. Because in my background, policymakers want concrete examples, I guess you would say, of, of how to implement this. Because I think, I think one of the beauties of what you're doing in this world is that, for the most part, it's pretty bipartisan. You know, it's pretty – everyone – really likes business growth. Everyone really likes, you know, young uh, entrepreneurial type folks, small businesses, as you would say in the government world. And, you know, it doesn't lend itself to as much of the uh, partisan uh, negativity we've seen with other issues. In some ways, you know, things that are bipartisan, um, they don't get attention. Like we, we live in, you know, society now where the more polarized it is, the more attention it gets. And, and I think that's a disservice to these bread and butter issues of how do you actually empower people to to create their to create their own businesses and create wealth and create alternative incomes for themselves and have the potential to grow and scale yeah. like we just don't talk about it and i think in some ways being bipartisan makes it harder we're going to hopefully have one of the uh, presidential debates of this year i don't know if it'll actually happen but if they do it'd be great to have uh, have one of the candidates actually mention entrepreneurs, startups, and some of these policies. Victor Wang is with me from righttostart.org. We'll be right back with our final segment of the Grill Nation show after the break. I uh, hope you're having a great day, and we'll be right back. show here on 980 AM or on iTunes or Stitcher via podcast. I'm your host, Jason Grill. We've had a great show so far today. This is our final segment of today's show. We're talking to Victor Wang, who is the founder and CEO of Right to Start. Their website is righttostart.org. He's a uh, very successful thought leader and entrepreneur, starter. Uh, I could I could, I could, could name off so many other things that he's done in his career, but his website, personal website is victorh.co. Uh, if you want to learn more about Victor, his his tagline is, we are all born to be starters, makers, doers, and dreamers, which fired me up this morning while we taped this interview. Um, Victor, we're, we're kind of concluding right to start um, and what you've been working on. What are your goals uh, moving forward? I know that all of this has happened so fast because of all of the pandemic and COVID-related uh, issues facing businesses. But, you know, kind of take us through kind of what your goals are uh, Maybe your goals in the short term with everything happening and then in the long term with Right to Start. Hmm. Well, the, the, the big mission of Right to Start, the grand vision, is that um, you know, entrepreneur, anyone that wants to start something uh, has, has an equitable opportunity to be able to do so. And that's regardless of who you are, where you're from, your, your, your genes, your zip code, your parentage. Uh, you, know, you should be able to uh, create something of your own and build value in life and society and do it with your friends and your family and your community and your neighbors. So that opportunity, that vision is what drives us. And what that looks like at a more um, strategic level is uh, actually implementing um, uh, this infrastructure. So we call this the civic infrastructure for entrepreneurship. And that means uh, community activism. We want to get 100,000 entrepreneurial supporters on board. Uh, local organizing. Uh, we are looking to get 100 grassroots ambassadors on the ground across the country that are helping us advance uh, entrepreneurial opportunity. And then uh, changing policies, we're uh, working with uh, 50 policymakers across the country that are willing to 
adopt and endorse and implement these policies uh, uh, as leaders. Uh, and those are in you know, all levels of, of government and society. Um, and so what we hope that does over time is we, we can actually start to reverse this trend and actually drive entrepreneurial rates back up again uh, in the coming years. And, uh, and based off of the data, you know, this is very achievable. It's there, if you can get these policies changed, and we know certain policies are bigger levers, uh, we can actually start to move the numbers. And if we can start to drive a lot of these policies, and, uh, then, then I think we can actually uh, see some real significant impact in more people starting businesses, more wealth getting created, and honestly, greater personal fulfillment in life. I think so much of life is the ability to, to chart your own course and create your own thing. Uh, with with the people around you. And and I think uh, if we can do that, we, we've done uh, something I'd be really proud of. Again, the right to start is at righttostart.org. Uh, some of those policy issues, you know, that you talked about promote opportunity, zero barriers for start, free to compete, cutting tax hassles, access to contracts, uh, as well as uh, finding ways to, to, to lead to more funding and the right kind of capital for entrepreneurs and startups, whether that's early stage capital spring local financial innovation, easier fundraising for entrepreneurs. Uh, you, you're also advocating for, for more of a knowledge. You want to drive local learning, easier access to certain things. And then again, support things like healthcare mobility, debt relief, or uh, student loan payments. I mean, these are not policy issues that are controversial uh, for the most part. Uh, and it's one of those things where you know, it's just it's just going to take some time, but but it's it's those those goals you have, I think, are are definitely doable. Will be exciting to follow, and and hopefully, with everything happening in the world, more people will be paying attention to to what you're doing right now than ever. Victor Wang is with us. Victor, I know you've been around entrepreneurs your whole life. You've been around smart people both in college and obviously with your businesses. Do you have any advice for those that are startups, uh, entrepreneurs, doers out there? And I know you've probably received some good advice in your life. Give, give us some, some tidbits that our listeners can take with them, whether they're somebody that's young and starting a company or somebody maybe that's uh, you know in their 50s who maybe wants to do something different and has some good ideas. What, what advice do you have for those types of folks? Hmm. Uh, the, the simplest piece of advice, it all, it, well, I'd say it boils down to talk to people. And and, uh, and this is something that happens a lot is when some people have a new idea, they want to create something or start a business or create a new invention or gadget or solution. They keep it to themselves because they're kind of embarrassed about it. They're shy about it and they kind of hold it tight. And that's not the way ideas work. Ideas don't grow when you hold them too tight. They kind of they kind of get you know paralyzed and they don't they don't really have anywhere to go. Ideas actually grow by talking to people and getting help from them, and they add their own little piece to it, and these ideas get better and better and better. Uh, th- and the research bears this out. That actually, it's some of the simplest steps. You know, talk to a friend or a family member who's done it before. Uh, find someone you know, in your network that you might not know already that has done something similar, and just share your idea and get their feedback on it. Like, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? Or do you have any advice for me? And And... That's how that's how things go, and the research shows most people drop down at that fall fall off at that level. Like about half the people don't even bother to talk to people that have done it before. And if you don't do if you don't talk to people like that, you're not going to get very far for sure. And this is what I learned in Silicon Valley: is in the valley, it's the opposite. You can't get people to shut up. They're talking about their ideas constantly, and what happens is the ideas get better and better and better 
and the people around you start to rally to help you. Like you start to get people saying, you know, I just met you, but who, what are the three people I can introduce to you to make that idea better or to help you execute on this idea? And in the Valley, you know, this, and this is what I mean is the Valley kind of at its very core, its essence is people sharing ideas fast, uh, rallying to help people who have ideas that want to bring them to life. And the thing about that is any, any community can do that. Like anyone can do that. You just need to, it's free to do, and you just need to start doing it. And if you've got an idea and you do that, you'll find if you can overcome the fear, that process will, will actually accelerate you and make you stronger. That's great advice. And contrary again to what a lot of people probably think, right? They probably hold their ideas tight. They, they don't get advice. They don't, they don't share them because they're so worried that somebody's going to steal their idea or they're, they're, just, they're just afraid because of their work situation or whatnot. So that's great advice. Um, we've got about a minute and a half left. Victor, we've been going through this COVID time and, and you know, stay-at-homes for a while and all these other things happening. What have you learned uh, throughout this time that you think has been the, the, the brightest, uh, brightest thing that you've learned or you, you've taken from this time that you could share with us? It's the that the inherent innate resilience and flexibility of human beings to adapt and help. And when we hold that back, it, it actually, you know, society suffers. But when we can unleash it, that's where you see this innovation happening from. So that's people who distilleries making hand sanitizer, everyone doing arts and crafts and making cloth face masks. It's innovators that are making new vaccines, people that are making new um, antibody tests, antigen tests. The, the kind of innovation happening at breakneck speed, facilitated through the internet and accelerated by the internet, is actually, it's an example of how, how new, these new technologies empower us instead of manipulate us or extract from us. Like these, this is new technology at its best, where we're able to share ideas and get things out faster. Um, and I think that's the future. And I think you can start to see the positive future of technology instead of a lot of the negative aspects that we're living through right now, which is the ability to put an idea out there and to get help and to accelerate that idea into life uh, is just driven uh, by this technology at a rapid speed. I, keep, I, I don't know if people uh, followed this, but the, um, the you know, uh, medical researchers, the epidemiologists, the, the biotech researchers, the virologists, they've become they, they, what they've done in the last few months in terms of advancing the state of knowledge and how to treat people with covid and how to uh, develop new therapies to treat it. That's been at the fastest speed, I think, in human history. It's not just for them. It's for all of us doing this at many different levels. People trying to find new ways to adapt and adjust uh, are using these new tools to be able to communicate with anyone anywhere and use it to our advantage. It's great. That's fantastic. Victor Wang, founder and CEO of Right to Start. Atlantic Magazine calls Right to Start one of the three guides to the next America. Thank you for joining us today on the Grill Nation show, righttostart.org. We appreciate it, Victor. Hey, thank you, Jason. This has been fun. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next week. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Awake, oh my-